0: Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and welcome to the off Series Player Previews. Going in order, this is the first of many, in order of the ATP rankings, which means we start with Rafael Nadal, the year-end number one, the Monday Match Analysis Player of the Year. Uh, if you haven't checked out the MMA Awards, go back and do that. That was the, the last Monday Match Analysis of the Year. These don't really count. This is the Off-Season Series, so to speak, and uh, I put some thought into how I wanted to do these, and I decided I didn't want to really plan it out so much as just kind of talk things out, keep it very, uh, very bare in terms of the production, but hit on anything that I think is important. the The general structure of these is: I'll talk about 2019, what worked, what didn't. Then I'll talk about keys for 2020, what's going to be the deciding factors in, in how next season goes. And that'll differ by player. And, uh, and then I'll give a a kind of loose prediction for what I'm expecting out of each player for the following season. Nadal, uh, is going to be, uh, Probably a longer one. I think they'll they'll vary in lengths, but it's an exciting one because there's been so many recent innovations in his game, and this was such an interesting season, uh, and his game is so elastic uh, and, and dynamic, and I mean, I use the word dynamic uh, in the way that I mean, you know, it, it's constantly changing and developing, so uh, it, it makes for a lot of good conversation. The only place to start with Nadal and his successes in 2019 is his serve. It's the first thing that you would notice was different in Australia, where he was standing up a little bit taller, kind of changed his, the flow of when he brings his left foot up to his right foot, and... Uh, Getting more explosion out of his legs, I think he was putting the toss a little bit more out in front, and he was hitting the serve a little bit uh, flatter, which is a mentality thing. It's a mental adjustment to to just try to flatten out that serve and not not cut cut past the edge of the ball to get that slice. Uh, so Nadal changed his serving technique, changed his adjusted his serving mentality, and throughout the 2019 season. We saw uh, a beefed-up Rafa Nadal serve, especially, again, Australia we saw it. Clay court season, he went back to the old, more conservative serve, which was interesting. And uh, it's quite interesting that he's able to go back and forth so seamlessly. It's just surprising to me. You don't see that very often. But then, start of the grass court season, he went back to the old serve, uh, took that through the hard court season, had a very successful hard court season. Uh, won Toronto, won the US Open, of course, uh, was the only person to beat Stefanos Tsitsipas at the ATP finals. Uh, the list sort of goes on and on. As, as, as so far as he was healthy, he was winning on hard courts. His Davis Cup run was also on hard courts. So it was a good fast court season for Nadal, in addition to winning the French. And a lot of that was from his serve. Here are the stats. All stats courtesy of Tennis Abstract and the Match Charting Project. Uh, What you'll see here is some general career highs for Nadal. Uh, The best games, one percentage of his career, 63%. The best total points, one percentage, 56%. Uh, So no surprise that it was the highest dominance ratio he's ever had, which is a Tennis Abstract metric uh, that determines... Basically, self-explanatory, how much you're dominating your opponents. But all the service stats are pretty much career highs. Hold percentage, 90.8% a career high. Ace percentage, by far a career high. I mean, nothing really rivals that 6.8% ace percentage. First points, 1% percentage at 76.4%. 2010 was the previous career was the previous career high with 75.4%. That's another year he tried to get some extra miles per hour on his serve. Uh, service points, points one, is uh, is also a career high. So, you know, the, the clear difference with Nadal here was the the percentage of points he was winning on his serve, which was really higher than any other season he's ever had in his career. That's why some people think, and I, I think that this is... Uh, I think it's really hard to say, but some people are compelled to say that Nadal had his best season ever. Now, I feel like there's a strong possibility that that's true, that that's the case. I'm, you know, I'm wondering if everyone, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, everyone is a little bit worse than they were in the early 2010s. If the overall level of tennis is worse, I, I, I wonder about that. So, But comparatively, compared to his level of competition, which I think might be a little lower these days, compared to his level of competition, he had the most dominant year of his career. Still had the injuries. Uh, two, one at Indian Wells, one after the U.S. Open. So in terms of full body of work, you still had those, those lapses. But when he was on the court and healthy, he's never been more dominant. And it all came from the first serve. A couple of things um, in addition to the fact that he was simply serving bigger. And actually, before I move on to, to the forehand, I want to talk about his forehand. But uh, when it comes to his service placement, he found a formula that really worked, which is uh, – majority of serves slice serve to the righty backhand it's a safer serve a higher percentage serve it attacks your opponent with width it gets them off the court on the ad side but even on the deuce side it normally attacks the weaker return which is the backhand so what he tend to do is he hits the slice serve wide slash t on the ad side so slice serve to the righty backhand And then when he goes to the other side, it's a flatter serve and it's a surprise tactic. That's where he gets the service winners. That's where he gets the aces. So he's done a really nice job of not mixing it up 50-50, but mixing it up in a way where, where he finds that perfect balance of when he goes with the lower percentage serve and it goes in, he's rewarded with maybe an ace, maybe a service winner, maybe a shorter ball. When he goes to the higher percentage serve, Less so, it's winning him the point outright, but at least he can serve a higher percentage, and it goes to the weaker return. So he's got a very nice balance. But if you're a if you're about to play Nadal, uh, you need to know that he's usually and I don't know you know what you really do about this, but he's usually going to your backhand if you're a righty. But when he goes to your forehand, he's going to bring the heat and the aggression. But uh, a really nice formula for Nadal that he found on serve. What was also important is what he did following up his serve. The 1-2, the first strike tennis. Now this is a mentality shift. First I'll show it to you. And then I'll, I'll talk about what, what's different and why it's effective. Uh, this is break point down in the fifth set against Medvedev. Kind of a big point, no? Um, he hits an uh, 118 mile per hour slice serve to Medvedev's backhand. And Medvedev hits this kind of towards Nadal's uh, backhand wing. And it's a classic Medvedevian backhand because it's kind of low and short, which is quite annoying and quite difficult to attack. But Nadal is going to use a really powerful crossover step here. Look at the hip mobility there uh, to try to not only get up to the ball, but also make it a forehand. And Full out aggression on this inside out forehand on the first ball of the rally in a massive spot, facing break point down. You would never see this early in Nadal's career, especially on such a big point. He would never go for this in this situation, this big off the first ball on a return that's, you know, semi attackable, but by no means a sitting duck. It wins him the point outright. The traditional mentality for a Spanish grinder, which is what Nadal is at heart, you know, no different than, you know, I mean, he's got a great weapon in his forehand, but he came up as a guy who wasn't really winning a lot of quick points. Let's just put it that way. The mentality is early in the rally, I don't want to give my opponent any free points. No, no early points, no mistakes early in the rally. That's a no-no in Spanish tennis. You never want to do that because now you're giving your opponent a point and they didn't have to work for it, which is the worst thing you can do in traditional Spanish tennis. No free points, no, no mistakes early in the rally. Nadal was fitter than 99.9% of his opponents. More consistent than 99.9% of his opponents. And also so willing to defend. So, why would you go big early and risk an error? That's the old mentality for Rafa Nadal. It makes sense. It wasn't wrong. What happens when you're playing Nadal early in his career? He never... It, you have to work for every single point. You have to hit it past... The fastest player, along with Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray, the fastest player in tennis in order to win a point because he never made an error. I mean, that is awful. That is a terrible position to be in. Um, And that's the position that Nadal put his opponents in, where he he never missed. But Carlos Moya came in, and Uncle Tony never really did this. Carlos Moyá comes in and um, shifts Nadal's mentality into going big early. Nadal always had the big forehand; he was always willing to flatten the forehand out. And when I say always, I mean anytime after you know 2008, he was willing to flatten the forehand out, go big on the forehand. But normally he waited. Normally he wanted to. Uh, sorry about that. Normally he wanted to work the rally. No more working the rally. Carlos Moya drilled this into his head. Hit a big serve, get a short ball, and crush the first forehand. This is how we're going to preserve your body. This is how we're going to preserve your legs. Also, you're playing a numbers game. Because it's very possible that the shortest ball you're going to get in the rally is off of the first shot. That's the percentage that Roger Federer has played throughout his entire career. Now Nadal is playing that percentage. The best ball I'm going to get a look at is probably the return. I mean, what other shot are you able to hit 120 miles per hour? Only the serve. Only the serve. So it's probably going to be one of your best shots at hitting and attacking forehand uh, off the first shot. And now Nadal's taking advantage of that. It's all it also decreases the likelihood that he needs to defend at any point. Now, Nadal is still a brilliant defender. He's a better defender than than 98% of the tour, still. But he can no longer win slams on the heels of his defense. He can no longer rely on his defense to win French Opens and uh, and and other majors. He, he must take initiative uh, because he just doesn't have it in the legs anymore. Uh, he doesn't have the enough speed and court coverage to win points on his defense anymore. His defensive racket skills are, are still impeccable, and he wins so many points scrambling because of his defensive racket skills, and his counterattacking, his passing shots are, are also still great. The court coverage, though, is not what it used to be. And that's just another reason to go big early, which is what Nadal uh, has done in 2019. Let's pull up my notes here. Um, the backhand. The backhand, in my opinion, was something that he... Two things I thought were, were continued. So I think what we had... What we got in in 2019 that was new was the serve is bigger and the mentality on the forehand was different, which is go big early. Two things continued from 2018 that I think we were already seeing. Uh, Nadal's backhand in 2018 was the best I had ever seen it. That continued in 2019. It is one of the best backhands on tour now and his slice is probably the best it's ever been, the backhand slice. Uh, he's And he's he's become a real master at, at subtle variation on the backhand, mixing up more more loopier balls, more drives. Uh, gave Medvedev fits with that at the U.S. Open. Won him the fifth set. In If you look at the game Nadal broke, it was the variety on his backhand that forced all the errors from Medvedev at I think it was I think it, I want to say it was two three when uh, when Nadal broke. So um, the backhand is still more aggressive and more potent than it's ever been. And the second thing is coming to the net more often. Nadal is winning seventy percent of points at the net, uh, a little bit over seventy percent. Uh, he won in 2019, which is higher than even Roger Federer. He's at the net a lot less than Federer, so um, I, I use that as a comparison. But it's a it's a top 15 mark on tour. I mean that that's a great great percentage. He's still selective about how he comes to net, but he's coming up there more and more. And again, this is finishing points. This is not prolonging rallies. This is his, this is preserving his body. This is making it less likely that he needs to defend. And it's taking away his his uh it's taking his opponent's defense more out of the equation when he plays a guy um, like Daniil Medvedev who who's so uh, prolific defensively when he plays younger players when he plays a Dominic team who's so prolific defensively so uh, those two things continued here's what could have been better in 2019 here's where I feel like where uh where Nadal can can make a leap um obviously the health needs to be bullet point number one It needs to be first and foremost the the big determining factor in in how well Nadal is able to do in the last two seasons has been his health and it, it probably goes back further than that I mean that's 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 consistent but uh, there's not much you can say about that other than, Nadal does does everything he can to stay healthy. I mean, mean, this is just, uh, this is a matter of his genetics. It's not a matter of his rehabbing or his, or or not his rehabbing. It's not a matter of of his injury prevention. Everyone knows how hard he works. Uh, Now, here's where I feel like he could get, he could be a little bit better on the court. It's a nitpick. Um, But I feel that he is not yet in a position where he fully trusts his game in select big moments. Not always, and we saw him come through in a lot of big moments. Obviously, at the U.S. Open, a win it was a place where in the fifth set, he came through in big moments, uh, serving it out at 5-4, but also at the beginning of the fifth set, you know, tense pressure moments. And just, you know, overall in that match, I think, after the first set, he really opened up and played how he needed to. Um, but big match against Djokovic, Australian Open. I don't know how healthy he was. I, I think um, there was uh, a little bit of passivity there. And then didn't play a great match against Federer, Wimbledon semifinal. And then, all in all, his tiebreak percentage, 66%. He's winning... Um... I mean, he's winning a way higher percentage of of sets than he is tiebreaks, or, or I should say, he's not among the most successful in tiebreaks like Roger Federer is. Federer is is up towards, uh, he's up at seventy nine percent. Djokovic was way up there, around seventy six percent. Nadal's tiebreak one percentage is sixty six percent, so going down a little bit in that pressure moment. And I'm going to get to why I feel this is. Um, you could also see this in um, breakpoint save percentage on serve, where some players have higher breakpoint save percentages. Uh, Federer is, is one of the, the biggest, best examples of this. Nadal was a couple percentage points below his regular points one percentage when facing break points instead of better. I think the big spot for growth and improvement for Nadal is learning to trust his new game in the biggest pressure moments, not reverting back to what he's comfortable with and what he's best at. And I felt that Nadal, for years and years and years and years, had this tendency to play with a little bit more net clearance in the biggest moments when the pressure is at its highest you are getting safer serves you are getting uh more intense footwork always finding forehands but you are getting high over the net looping safer shots that's the natural tendency for everyone Everyone gets more passive in pressure moments. For Nadal, he was so much better at it than everyone else because when he added that margin and when he just upped that intensity in his movement and his feet, you you were never getting an error. And I've already discussed how how difficult it is when, when Nadal's in the shape that he was in. Uh, and when Nadal covers the court as well as he did, when you're never getting an error it's it's really difficult to to beat a guy like that. You know that's where that's how he felt comfortable. Nadal has always felt nerves. He's always changed his game in big moments. Now he needs to try to adopt the the mentality that makes fetter and, John Isner, I'm actually going to make that comparison. What makes those two players particularly good in pressure moments such as tiebreaks is they've trained themselves to take advantage of their opponent's passivity by not falling into the trap of playing more passive. Nadal needs to get more comfortable going big and aggressive in the biggest matches and the biggest moments. It is not his natural instinct. And uh, that's one explanation for why he didn't play his best matches against Djokovic in Australia and Federer at Wimbledon. One explanation for that is, yes, you know, the competition was way hiked up. He had way less time. I mean, Federer played, they both played incredible 10 out of 10 matches. Of course, he's going to look worse. But I still think he was disappointed with, with both of those performances and he wasn't playing the same kind of dominating, aggressive tennis in those two matches as he was in the lead-up to those matches because he just wasn't able to, to bring it. He wasn't able to muster that boldness that we've seen from him against lesser opponents. So, the keys for 2020. Number one, his health. Number two, not returning, not reverting, to his old game in clutch moments. So again, lower break point save percentage than serve points. One percentage only 66% of tie breaks. One that's way lower than his regular success rate. Uh, Federer at 79 um, and Djokovic at 74. If we're making that comparison, uh, then the third key for 2020 is uh consistency on the forehand because in the, in the rare matches, Nadal didn't play a lot of bad matches, but it, when he was losing, it was pretty much a, a consistent case of, well, for, Nadal's forehand isn't firing. Nadal's forehand isn't 100%. Again, I think that when he feels nervous, when he doesn't feel as confident, it's not nerves, it's probably more confidence when it comes to his forehand, but when he's not 100% confident, that's the shot where you see it. And I want to back that up with more tennis abstract. Match charting, uh, the the column where I have three matches highlighted here is forehand potency. The Zverev match, tour finals, coming back from injury after uh, after Paris um, against Sangha. You see that that was his worst forehand potency in his last fifty two matches minus seven and a half. Then the loss to Fetter, five and a half, one of his lowest on this page. And then uh, Titi pass in the loss to Madrid, he also beat Titi pass with only a one and a half forehand potency. Uh, but those are three of the lowest scores, three out of the four lowest scores in his last fifty-two. Excuse me, last fifty-two weeks, which is uh, thirty matches. The last fifty-two weeks of the season. I wanted to make this full year, and I just didn't. I, I didn't know how. But um, some of the lowest forehand potencies, forehand potency. Uh, and I, I hope I don't butcher this, but pretty sure it is when a given shot ends the point. If it's a winner, that's plus one. If it's a if it's a forced error, that's plus one. Or if you miss, that that's minus. So if normally when your forehand ends the point, it's a negative. That's where you're going to get a negative uh, potency rating. And then if on average. When you hit the shot, when when a given shot ends the point, it's it's a positive. You win the point. That would be that would make it go up. So, um, forehand consistency, not reverting back to more passive tennis in the biggest moments, and health are the three keys for me for 2020. Here's my prediction for Nadal in 2020. I think he's in the best position out of anyone. My my prediction, now this isn't official, I'll I'll do this at the beginning of the year, but I think he's in a great position to maintain and uh, hold on to that number one ranking, and here's why. The French Open is a tournament that, that he is still the heavy favorite in. No doubt. Still the heavy favorite at the French Open on clay, and uh, I mean, he's getting better on fast courts, but... There are no signs to that point to him getting worse on clay. You look at every hard court slam, and no one can really say what Nadal can say about the French. Now, Nadal is in the mix at the Australian Open, at Wimbledon, at US Open. Nadal's in the mix. But no one else, Djokovic, Federer, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, no one has a slam where they are as heavily favored as Nadal is at the French... Even Djokovic at the Australian Open, which he's played so well at, it's still not Nadal at the French, and there's so much competition now. 2020 seems like a year where you're going to be wondering not just about which member of the big three is going to win it, even though Wimbledon might be like that. 2020 seems like a year where we might have to wonder about some of the younger players, including Dominic Thiem, who I who I, I shouldn't have left out in the name drops that I just had, including Dominic Team. Uh, I have a feeling we're going to be wondering about can they disrupt the, the norm here in 2020? In so I would argue that you put Nadal in the mix at, in three, but you make him the heavy favorite in one, I don't think anyone is in a better position there. And I think in order for, for Djokovic... To, you know, in order for Djokovic to really put himself in a better position, the only argument there is, well, there's more hard court masters events than there are um, clay court masters events. Obviously, there's one more slam, but it's very hard to win both of them. And, and I don't know how confident Djokovic can be that, that he's going to do that. The problem is... Djokovic didn't really show the consistency uh, at Masters in 20 in 2019. So, I do feel like Nadal, if you look at the position he's in, is probably in the best position out of anyone to finish 2020 year-end number 1. I'm anticipating really big things. What I'm most interested to see is you know, what's going to be his next project because I think what motivates Nadal is getting better, improving, working on his game. I don't really think legacy or records. I don't think that really gets Nadal up in the morning. I think it's getting better, and we're getting to the point where okay, the backhand has improved, the serve has improved, the volleys have improved, uh, the you know the the shot selection has adapted. What's next? What's next for Nadal? What's the next thing he's going to work on? And um, is he able to stay healthy, stay motivated? And uh, how's he going to do that? It's going to be really interesting to see. You know, is Nadal just going to try to kind of now start to stay the course here? What's the next thing that he's going to work on in his game? I'm really fascinated to see. Maybe the the return, maybe the traditional kind of fast court return where uh, he can – Perhaps learn to return on faster courts with more aggressive return positions to try to take time away from his opponents. That would be consistent with the trend of Nadal getting more aggressive on faster courts. Maybe it's that. I don't know. That's what's going to be very interesting. Um, And that'll do it. That is your Nadal 2019-2020 preview. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe.